0: Alexa, uh, нет, uh, stop. Stop, 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 A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave and Jim Bows. So here we are, back off holiday, back from Portugal, and it's episode nine. Robert Belgrave, how the devil are you? Thank you Jim Bose. I'm very well, episode 9 as you say, and here we are recording live in Shoreditch at Manifesto HQ uh, and we've had a few complaints about the sirens that do occasionally make it through the microphone, so apologies in advance, it's a Friday evening for this recording so there'll be a few of those. We can promise the sound of the police will be in Shoreditch tonight. <laughs> yes indeed they will. How are you doing Jim? I'm really well actually, like, I've not, I don't I think I saw you until this morning after we got back from holiday, is that a total lie? I saw you on Wednesday. Yes you did, for some gin. So Wednesday gin? Nothing like Wednesday gin. Um, Yeah, really good. Uh, There's so much going on in the world of tech this week uh, that we've got stuff about Bitcoin. We've got some fake news talk coming up. What are you excited about on this month's show? Well, fake news is our kind of theme, but fake news really is more kind of computational propaganda, as we're going to get into with our guest Nigel William from the IPA, who joins us in the studio as always. So yeah, really excited to talk about that. Please follow us on Twitter, Alexa underscore stop, and rate us on iTunes if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Let's start with some corrections, shall we, Jim, from last month's show. Are you telling me that we got some stuff wrong? It seems to be a recurring theme, doesn't it? But I'm quite enjoying them. So, uh, so yeah, last month we talked about the release of the Google Pixel 2 smartphone, which we were very excited about, and the Google Pixel Buds, which uh, basically do real-time translation. It's crazy talk, isn't it? I say that like it's a really simple thing that you can just say without explaining it. So listen to last month's episode if you're wondering what that's about. But uh, Jim and I were poking fun at Google for the fact that it was all very well being able to do real-time translation, but you couldn't reply, right? Because you'd be able to hear what somebody said in Japanese, but then you wouldn't be able to respond. Well, it turns out they thought of that, and you don't actually need to buy two phones and two sets of them, because the phone very cleverly uses its speaker to communicate. So well done, Google, you thought of that. You'd think, wouldn't you, really, that we'd have watched the video demoing it before we talked about it. But yeah. That's why we end or, up with or, corrections. Or at least pay attention to it. Um, and the second thing I'd like to say before we get into our news segment uh, with the explosion of fireworks night outside the window is that not all heroes wear capes, Jim. Did you see what happened on Twitter today? I did. There's a lovely story. You know that feeling that you get when it's your last day at work and you just really don't like your boss and you think, I'm just going to do one final thing to... Mess with that guy. Yeah, uh, you could leave something on his desk. Or or in the case of this uh, fine individual, you could disable the President of the United States Twitter account for a full 11 minutes. Not the real Donald Trump. The real Donald Trump, indeed. So, uh, yeah, I'd just like to offer a round of applause on behalf of Alexa Stop to the amazing human being who deserves the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts today. Deleting or rather suspending Donald Trump's Twitter account. And do you know what I love about this one? I love the fact that it just got Twitter into action, uh, and Twitter, uh, the Twitterati, were pretty funny on this one. Some good things were said. Um, so let's. Uh, do you think we do the news? It's news time, Jim. It's the news. It's the news. Oh yes, it is the news. Still no jingle. Still no jingle. But going in with our first news story, which was the incredible work from Google and their DeepMind division cracking the game of Go for the second time. Have you read about this one? I have read about it, uh, but do you know the rules of Go, Rob? Do you know what? I've played Go. Have you played Go? You're so from Oxford. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) I bet you were in the Go Club, weren't you? I was in the chess club at my school, so i'm not gonna I'm um, working on thin um, ice here really. I'm, I'm glad to say at my state school in Oxford go was not on the menu but um I have played go and it's it's great fun it's an ancient Chinese board game for those that aren't familiar with it. It's kind of like chess on steroids in terms of like being a really strategic contest between two players and some of our listeners may remember the IBM bot that beat the chess champion some time ago, which was at the time was a kind of massive story Kasparov Kasparov indeed so Google wanted to go on better because, you know, that's how tech companies roll. So they decided to come up with a an AI system that could beat the current world champion at the game of Go, or the grand master, as they like to call themselves in board games. And that was about five years ago. And um, they pulled it off. They, they created a system that they trained carefully with lots of data on all of the different sort of historic games of Go. And, you know, they were very proud with themselves when they managed to achieve that. But, not content with resting on their laurels they decided that wouldn't it be exciting if actually rather than have to teach the algorithm how go worked they could just kind of set it loose and it could train itself and uh well did you see what happened it's incredible the computer that beat the world champion the grandmaster got beaten by a computer yes indeed it did and so what DeepMind managed to do was create an ai algorithm that taught itself go by playing go against itself i think they say it played four and a half million games of go before it got to the point where it sort of stuck its hand up and said i'm ready Uh, and then they decided well who should we pit it against no point pitting it against the human puny human that's already lost to our previous algorithm so they they set it off to play a hundred games of go against the previous version that had been trained by humans rather than had trained itself and it won a hundred to zero Incredible. What I feel disappointed about is that the previous winner, the, the computer that beat the world champion, didn't get any better in the intervening five years. <laughs> yeah, clearly they missed a the trick there. Um, anyway, the, uh, the Skynet future that we're all so terrified of is clearly not as far away as we would have liked. But moving on to a slightly more upbeat news story, CRISPR technology, which is a gene editing technique that we covered in our second episode on South by Southwest. Uh, has been used to edit the genes of pigs to create low-fat pigs. I'm I'm really not cool with this, right? Why, why do you like bacon? Why do you like bacon? That's the question, right? I guess it's because it's tasty and fat is tasty. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I mean, like, you don't want l- incredibly... It's called a fucking pig. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be fat. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I know for some that bacon without Don't the fat... Don't swear very often. I feel strongly about this. Yeah, I know. Wow, that's one of the first times Jim has sworn on the podcast, which, uh, you know, taking the fat from bacon was clearly the uh, the issue that, that, that really Tipped catalyzed that. Head. But, um, you know, for look for those watching their weight, you know... And maybe don't they're- eat bacon. <laughs> but maybe if you're they're- watching your weight, don't eat bacon. Maybe they're missing the crispy taste of sizzled pig slices, no? Get a goji berry. If you're watching your weight, get eat a goji berry. Get on your superfoods. Eat some pumpkin seeds. Leave the bacon alone. Pigs are pigs. They need to have fat, and people that want fat pigs can enjoy fat pig food. Okay. Alright, well the good news is that the experiment was not actually entirely designed simply to make lower fat pigs, uh, or for bacon purposes rather, but it was designed to help cut down on farmers' costs, because keeping pigs warm in winter is apparently very expensive. So by giving the animals a way to heat up naturally, farmers don't have to spend so much on heating, and that's also part of the same gene modification. That doesn't make complete sense to me, because surely with less insulation they're going to be colder. You would think so wouldn't you but uh, apparently better circulation part of I god knows part of the same process um no cold trotters <laughs> look it's all to do with cas nine proteins uh, you know we'll we'll leave it there i think you're like trying to fight your way through the science while i'm just sort of like poking just, just so angry about the thought of fat free bacon yeah it's not it's not right But, you know, as someone that's not been eating refined sugar for eight weeks or nine weeks or however long it is, you know, you make these choices. And I I don't want someone to, like, take the refined out of the sugar just so I can eat the sugar. It's like it's a choice. Okay, All right. Yeah. Calm down. All right. Well, look, the UCP1KI pigs, as they are known, uh, maybe that's less inflammatory than calling them low-fat pigs for you, are potentially a valuable resource for the pig industry and can improve pig welfare along with reducing the economic costs associated with farming, apparently, according to the authors of the study. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I I love a good exercise class. So maybe when you get the lean pigs going to, like, frame classes in Shoreditch, they'll all learn to, like, rebound and jump up and down on trampettes as well, as well as not having any fat in the first place. And, uh... Because this is a radio format, I feel obliged to point out that Jim has just started doing a little aerobic side-to-side. I can't, <laughs> can't help it. Going through that. Can you imagine uh, a pig in active wear? Uh, let's move it on, shall we? On that note, uh, I think there are lots of pigs in active wear, but that's a different story. Do you know, Rob, do you know <laughs> how many Americans there are? Uh, uh, well, it's funny you ask, Jim, because it turns out that there are 325,252,101 Americans. Very precise, isn't it? I wonder if that, how, I mean, I, we got that sort of 10 minutes ago. So, really up to date on the births, deaths, and. Yeah, uh, it's probably a few like more by now. Yeah, it's going up all the time. Um, and uh, so, th- this is a story about fake news. I feel like there should be like a voice. Fake news. Uh, tell us a bit about it. Tell us a bit about fake news. Well, look, as many of you will know, a lot has changed in the world with media over the last, well, decade, but particularly over the last two or three years. And there have been some huge global political events, Brexit, uh, Trump winning the US election, all of the kind of Russia, Ukraine stuff. I mean, Egypt, remember that all got overthrown, Greece, like there's been loads of stuff going on and you know propaganda and bias in the media is not new you know it's been around as long as media has as a format frankly but i think the thing that's really changed over recent years is the fact that people consume their media through platforms through social media platforms often as a primary source and there's a real kind of interesting collision happening there between these platforms that are ultimately optimizing for profit and advertising revenue and therefore kind of kind of creating tools and kind of you know almost taking a of the view of it's not really our position to police how these tools are used we're just going to create the tools and what you do with them is kind of up to you and that seems to be colliding with clever regimes frankly or, or certainly political agendas who are kind of using those powers for good but also for evil and uh, that 's a bit of a concern, so yeah, there's been a lot a lot on this and we're going to talk to Nigel about this in a bit more detail, who kind of spends a lot of time in that world uh, in our interview segment today. But yeah, the story that 's been breaking is all around particularly how Russia was involved in the u s election uh, that got Trump involved, and you know initially, what was interesting is all the platforms sort of said, "No, this is nothing to do with us." Research has come out that Facebook believes 120 fake Russian back pages created 80,000 posts that were received by 29 million Americans directly but the uh, the reach beyond that was far bigger and they reckon that about 25% of all Americans that voted were reached in some way by propaganda that was put in place by uh, a Russian botnet essentially yeah and possibly even a few more so it's interesting because whenever we quote the figures around reach as an agency you get killed because it's that totally useless figure so it makes you wonder like is is the reach a real figure in this instance how many people really saw it that 25 million is an interesting one but in a tight election actually even 25 million is is enough to make a difference particularly in certain states and and if they focused that energy on specific states then it could have had a really really major impact and i think it's a fascinating topic um and the responsibility of the platforms and things is something that we'll dig into later yeah, and, and you know, it's all kind of come to a head this week, representatives from the major social networks, and I thought it was interesting that they didn't send their CEOs, they sent their lawyers, which says a lot, right, went and sat in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and gave testimony, right, on on their views on how they did or didn't influence what happened. There's a lot going on in that space at the moment, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more come out over the weeks and months ahead. I think it's because Zuck didn't have a shirt, he always wears the same t-shirt, so he's like, I can't possibly go, I've got to send my lawyer. Yeah, they won't let me in in a black t-shirt, so I better send the lawyer. Perhaps. perhaps. Do you think that's what happened? Maybe. I mean, to be fair, if someone asked me to do that meeting, I'd try and avoid it. I, I think that's probably fair, isn't it? Um, I, I don't have any less respect for someone for trying to avoid that meeting. It sounds bloody <laughs> difficult. Yeah. And, and I thought it was really interesting because there's a lot of commentary online that the questions they got asked weren't, weren't really the right questions, actually. And, and I thought that was quite insightful about maybe how government often isn't really that in touch with the true... Problem And and it doesn't really understand how the platforms work. But uh, uh, Professor Scott Galloway, who's very well regarded in this space, put an amazing video online of the 12 questions he would have asked them, which I thought was really, really bang on the money, actually. Um, And one of them was like, the average age of Facebook is 27. Would it be reasonable to assert that Facebook is in a position where they don't really have the historic experience to understand the impact of the f- decisions they're making. And I, I don't want to go after Facebook. They're not alone in this. You know, all of the platforms are equally culpable, frankly. But um, anyway, we'll move on from that and we'll come back to it. And they said, the you episode. know, we taught our AI algorithm to learn all of history. We know exactly the impact of our actions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, our, our robot's the Go champion. I, mean, <laughs> I think we can handle propaganda. Um, so let's move on to a regular feature stories from your CTO, who is himself traveling this month. He is indeed. So, another story from my wonderful CTO. So, um, my CTO's younger brother, younger brother of a CTO, is getting married in New York, of all places. So, congratulations did, to him. Start spreading the news. Was that necessary? It was unnecessary. I, I think it, we'll probably leave it in. <laughs> Uh, it was in tune at least. But so um, it was a bit, a bit flat to be honest. He's, uh, so he is flying to New York, which you know, for me, if you were flying to New York, would you have any concern about the quality of the internet access that you would receive on arrival? I'm confident the Americans have internet. Um, And I'm confident of that because they were all shown loads of ads by Facebook and they all saw them. Yes, indeed. Which means they definitely had the internet. Well, I'm afraid my CTO is not content to make assumptions about such things. So he is packing into his hold allowance, not extra toys for his two lovely daughters, not a change of clothes for his lovely wife, just in case he gets the colour scheme wrong for the wedding or whatever other reason she might need them. Not her low level lighting for while she's asleep. No, no, not that either that we covered previously, but... Actually, what he's packing is a selection of hardware so that on arrival at his Airbnb in New York, he can set up his own internet access, a range of SIM cards, uh, Wi-Fi antennas. I'm not joking. It's all going in the case. There's one thing that you said that, 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 that made me think about this. And I was just sort of trying to now imagine growing up as the daughter of your CTO. Uh, in a world where no toys get packed and (laughs) and SIM cards and technologies and a Raspberry Pi and a soldering iron are are the things that are your toys. Well, maybe setting up a Wi-Fi network is fun. Yeah, probably is. I mean, I used to like get watches and smash them as a kid. So I loved a bit of like tech (laughs) and never put them back together. Okay, so there we go. Story from my CTA for this month. And that brings us on to something from the hype curve. It's only the hype curve. And is it something in the trough of disillusionment? Or is it something on the plateau of productivity? Or is it something at whatever that other bit's called where it's maximum hype? The front bit where everyone's still really excited. It's that bit today. We can't not talk about blockchain with what's going on in that sector at the moment. And notably with cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is absolutely flying this month. It succeeded $7,000 and reached new all-time highs. Uh, A lot of the commentators who talked so negatively about it over the last few months are looking pretty foolish at this stage. Uh, But that's not the main story. The main story we wanted to announce uh, and cover was that the Royal Mint, the British Royal Mint, have today announced that they are releasing a product which tethers real gold to a blockchain. The idea is that... Physically? Yeah, physically. They're somehow like like knitting it all together. Go on. So yeah, Nicola Robinson, who's the senior strategic marketing manager at UK's Royal Mint, and for those that don't know, those are the people that make all the money we use every day, uh, who also happen to own 5.4% of the global gold bullion market, which is quite a lot of money. And they get through loads of animal fat. <laughs> um. Well, they've, re- they've uh, released a new proposition which tethers gold to a blockchain. And what this means is You kind of get the security of physical gold bullion, but with the flexibility of trading a digital asset on a blockchain. And this is a massive development for the blockchain community, bringing a whole new level of kind of, uh, well, I suppose a level of integrity and approval from something that would otherwise. Acceptance from the very core of the establishment. Right. And um, apparently as a bit of a PR stunt at the announcement. She gave a gold bar worth $40,000 to somebody in the audience and then turned her back and asked them to kind of pass it around and then kind of proved how easy it was to lose a gold bar, right? And to misplace it or to have it stolen from you. Happens all the time. (laughs) To me, I mean, the amount of gold bars I've misplaced. Where did I leave that bullion? Um, Yeah, so look, an amazing development in that community. Everyone in the Bitcoin world is super excited about it. Uh, The Bitcoin price is at an all-time high and soaring. There's Uh, something to talk about, though. There is a fork. Yeah, but there is a fork coming. Later in November, there's a big kind of fork in the road, quite literally, for for Bitcoin. So I think this is going to be probably the the final test of its success this year, which is stratospheric at this point. Uh, So. If by next time we record our episode for December, Bitcoin is still at all time highs, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say it's going to plow on into next year. But yeah, we'll reserve judgment until then. I just have to ask one question for, for Pete Trainer on his behalf. Can you buy milk with it? Yes, you can, Jim. Yes, you can. Sorry, Pete. Um, OK, let's talk about uh, some tech that we'd like to bring back. Rob, what was your first mobile phone? My first mobile phone, that is a good question. Uh, let's see. It was a Nokia, I guess. Yeah, it would have been a Nokia 3210, which carbon dates 3210. me. 3210. What wow. about you? I had a, a big Nokia, at like a, well, I was 17 when I got it. I had to pay for a year's line rental in advance. I don't even remember what the model number is, but it I was before the 5110, which was perhaps the first sort of ubiquitous right. phone. Yeah, the one with the it was. That, that was out. the one I wanted that I wasn't old enough to have. Oh, really? Amazing. to wait, I was a bit had older. snake on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. All the important stuff. But um, when I first had a job in tech, I worked for a startup, a Swedish uh, startup, back in about 99, 2000. The phone I had was a 3310. Which was a great phone. It had very Vo- popular. Voice activated dialing for up to 10 contacts. Yeah, you had to nominate them, didn't you? You did. Choose which 10 people you could have a voice command for. Um, and the, the, this is a piece of news from earlier in the year, but this is a piece of retro tech that actually has been brought back it really? Tell me more. You can buy on even like on run-of-the-mill website. No, I'm not going to say that. I <laughs> describe someone as run-of-the-mill. You can buy on many, many websites a 3310, a brand new Nokia 3310 of your very own, and play Snake to your heart's content, and voice activate ten contacts, and do all those things that you dreamt of doing when you didn't quite own a 3310. So, hang on. This is not a revamped version of the 3310 this is the original oem item it's slightly revamped but it is the original phone it's 50 quid so if you want something that lasts for weeks and you just want to send some text messages and do a few calls it could be the phone for you well let's run out and buy one i mean I, i would love to have a 3310 in my pocket i mean actually i think i would enjoy making phone calls on one of those more than i would on my uh my iphone how about you yeah, definitely. The latest iOS uh, upgrade has uh, started killing my battery, so I could do with something that lasts twice as long. Maybe I need to start carrying two phones. And uh, the iPhone X was released today in the UK, and shout out to Will Harvey from VCCP, who sent us an Animoji of himself as a griller uh, with the caption, This cost me a grand, which... Uh, <laughs> is the only reflection yeah. anyone can really have on that purchase, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And on that note, I think it's time to bring our guest in, don't you, Jim? Definitely. So, um, yeah, we're going to reset the studio and then welcome Nigel William from the IPA to talk all things fake news and computational propaganda. And we're back with our guest... None other than Mr. Nigel William, who is the Media and Emerging Technologies Consultant at the IPA, and also, and this is a much more considerable accolade, the first Alexa stock guest to bring printed notes with him. Welcome to the studio, Nigel. Thank you very much, chaps. It's amazing because all of your notes are sort of, I don't know, 10-point font size, so I I barely can read anything from them, uh, but hopefully you know exactly what's in there. It's actually more of a comfort blanket. I
1: I can't actually read them myself. My my middle-aged eyes are are deceiving me, so um, they're just here to make me feel better. That's good.
0: Oh, they're certainly making me feel better, and um, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about the IPA.
1: So the IPA is the chartered trade body for advertising agencies and advertising practitioners in the UK. Historically, the big advertising agencies would have been a membership, but it's now extended
0: to individuals as well. Cool. And today we're going to talk a bit about fake news or computational propaganda, as we sort of mentioned before. What's your personal kind of context there? Is that something that you're kind of involved with professionally because you're working with the platforms and stuff? How do you kind of, how do you intersect with that world?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the big platforms, um, Google and Facebook, two of the largest um, companies by market cap in the world, uh, almost their entire commercial revenue is based on advertising. So we have a a regular and and frequent relationship with those platforms. I have to say this area in its entirety is is partly a kind of a personal interest. So there's a fantastic sketch writer at The Telegraph called Michael Deacon. yeah. And it was really uh, a tweet from him which, that got me into this, which was, um, wow, who would have thought Russia won the Cold War an extra time?
0: <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I just think we're at the tip of the iceberg, aren't we, in terms of people's understanding of quite how powerful a lot of this stuff has been in the changes that have gone on in the political landscape globally over the last couple of years. Uh, Jim what are your thoughts? I think you know the 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 propaganda and people wanting to assert influence is as old as groups of people I guess and so it's just that sometimes something happens where people aren't aware of new ways in which they're being influenced and so perhaps more susceptible. Is that a fair?
1: Yeah I, I think it's I think it's really important to say that you know this isn't Propaganda in itself is not a new uh, a new part of humanity, but the, the, this concept of computational propaganda, the the leveraging and the utilisation of the, the the tech platforms, particularly social media related that are out there, um, has provided a means for a scale and a speed of of intervention that I don't think anyone quite saw coming.
0: And I suppose if something gets promoted by some people, so there's a thing called the theory of planned behavior. Um, a theory of planned behavior uh, works on the concept that um, your ability to uh, affect a change in your behavior is dictated by your attitude towards something, the attitude of the people around you, and your access to resources to affect that change. So, in a situation where something like a vote is happening, well, your your resources, your access to that vote, uh, and so if you're the people around you's attitude towards something takes a certain slant then there's a fair chance that your view may change too. Absolutely
1: that's a nail on the head so Cass Sunstein who's I don't, one of the one of the co-authors of Nudge which is a, a kind of a you know a classic behavioral economics book um, so he talks about something called group polarization which is exactly what you're talking about so he, he gave the example of studies undertaken of um, looking at people in Colorado so if you take people in Boulder who are left of centre and you look at them in a collective group, collectively, their political views through discussion will get more left wing over time. You contrast that with people from Colorado Springs who are right of centre. They meet and spend time together. They they drift the other direction. So exactly that context is important.
0: And I suppose social media is, is a new uh, sort of format and a new land where this sort of that we're talking about their physical relationships, but it creates it in a virtual way, uh, but people perhaps are just not aware of the influence that's occurring where, you know, when, when they see a post. And, and I suppose in the fake news context, it's also the sort of deliberate misleading back to the sort of propaganda side of things to sort of, you know, give people the fuel to influence those around them yeah
1: and it, i mean it's it's on steroids this idea of if you like the echo chamber that you know is the, that become the lingua franca of, of what's taking place online is an aspect of this concept of of group polarization um, and the really dangerous part is where bad actors of whatever kind have an understanding of that and look to play upon that and I think there's a growing body of evidence to suggest that bad actors of various kinds are looking to generate greater group polarization through exactly this
0: kind of group polarization effect. Incredible. So, whenever you say the words "bad actors," I think of terrible films. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, are, we ha- are we having a terrible film interlude at this point? I think. It, I think what, what I'm thinking of is just that, that, that there's like terrible films about the people that actually are the real bad actors. <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> bad actors. Yeah. So, sort of like a sort of meta version of that. Um, so, let's let's sort of like take this. Um, out a little bit into sort of like the, the fake news in the wider world. So this week it was announced that the Collins Dictionary have announced fake news as the word of the year because its usage has grown 365%. Isn't that two words? It is two words. Phrase so, of the year. <laughs> Such a pedant. Come on, Collins, <laughs> sort it out. It's going to be in the next printed dictionary as a single word, I guess. Wow. Uh, yeah, I suppose maybe, that, maybe it will be. I mean, look, I remember when it was triple whammy. Those were happier days, weren't they? <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I don't think I would have ever said that phrase before two years ago. Fake news. Yeah, maybe a year ago, I started sort of to enter vernacular and I... What, would you have said fake news in, say, 2012? Like, I, I just don't think it was a thing that was kind of in my consciousness, really. No, I, I mean, I think that percentage growth is, it almost slightly surprises me that it isn't larger. I bet if you looked at it over two years, it would be in the thousands of percent. Probably, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at least two-thirds of that is Donald Trump himself. Build a wall. So there's a question for me around what's the difference between using data to drive a campaign uh, and that sort of bad actor world? Um, because, you know there's a sort of fine line in certain places what do you think yeah i i guess it's a really interesting debate isn't it about how much is too much and and where do you draw the line and what should you make legal and and i don't know like certainly in the wash up after the 2016 election in america the republicans were saying that well hang on a minute you're you're criticizing us for doing these kind of personalized um or personalised messaging campaigns, I guess, uh, looking at swing voters and people who were kind of undecided or, or rather were you know using all the Cambridge Analytica profiling stuff that I'm sure will come on to, like figuring out who the people were that they were likely to be able to influence and then targeting individual messaging to them. And they said, well, hang on a minute, we've been doing this for decades, we're just able to do it computationally now, and then why is that really any different? So Is, the, is that not just marketing? Well, there we go. Nigel, what do you reckon?
1: Well, so I think a couple of points. So for a start, that's an argument that um, the platform's initially made. So... They like to talk in terms of volume and the fractions of percentiles of content that this kind of messaging is represents on their platform. So, you know, we are so vast. We have so many conversations, so much content going on. This is like a third of a fraction of one percent of content. So there's a belittling of scale on that front. The other point is freedom of speech is the get out of jail card for a lot of arguments in the States. Right, so the platforms themselves always like to say we, we defer
0: to that first. Is that first or fourth amendment? I can never remember, but they love going on about it, don't they? Whichever one it is,
1: I can't actually remember. The only one I like, second is guns, isn't it? I can remember second yeah. is guns. Se- I think
0: second is the right to shoot everybody.
1: Exactly. I think it's first amendment. Yeah. Um, but it but the the issue here is that it contrasts with another fundamental principle, and we need to talk about the UK as well, but just within the US. The involvement of a foreign power is something that is illegal in an election, and yep. that's what makes the that's what makes this issue
0: in particular so interesting. It's a felony, right, to to be involved in in facilitating it.
1: That's right, and there there are questions being raised about political advertising in the states. So I think it's a, a, a Republican or a representative at Warner, yep. um, who is trying to introduce the um, kind of Good Ads initiative. The, the reality is commercial messaging is a, a minutely thin end of the wedge in this. And it's really actually organic content that is far more powerful and, and more significant in scale.
0: Yeah. And I think in, in um, American elections, I think, uh uh, increasing your advertising budget substantially has been shown to make at most a 1% difference from free economics actually the, 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 this stuff so yeah. it, it is the sort of uh, surreptitious stuff that gets into people's brains that maybe costs money to produce but isn't uh, articulated as advertising that's perhaps more dangerous
1: yeah so the you know and and, and let's not forget that the platforms talked about this and, and this is a live issue, so we, we may have further announcements about the scale of of, of of what's taken place. But they started by saying this was inconsequential or crazy. To this had a reach of millions. To this had a reach of hundreds of millions. Okay, so so that's the process that we're in at the moment. Do you think there could be further announcements that show greater impact? I think it's very very likely. I think it's very likely. I, I also think that the, the, the nature of what's been undertaken here transcends individual platforms. So they are, if you like, seeing one slice of a, a comprehensive campaign of interference. Um, and if you will let me at some point, I would like to give you a bit of historical background into geopolitics uh, and philosophers in Russia um, that, that, that actually reflect on... The, the motivation, you know, what's the motive is one of the great things that criminals, you know, criminal events. Columbo, what was the motive? You know, Poirot, what was the motive?
0: And just one more thing. No, no that's the Columbo question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 no, look, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think understanding the history of this type of propaganda is a really important part of understanding where it's going today. And and look, from my perspective, I'm absolutely 100% sure that a lot more is going to come out about the real impact of what happened, the way that bots are being used, the way that organic, inverted commas, content is being spread, not technically as paid advertising, but actually as having a far greater reach and uh, therefore a far bigger impact on results as well. So let's take this back to a really basic question then, that sort of taps into what you were talking about. What does Russia want? Right, and and, and, and the, why? Maybe,
1: and, and this is fascinating because it, on, on first you hear phrases like Russia meddling. In elections, Russia meddling in votes, and that phrase, that word, meddling, just talks of you, you know, it's it's almost like an adolescent mischief, mesf, mischief making. So I'm going to take. I you just think
0: of uh, Putin on that horse wearing his bare chested, right, and he's like, yeah. "Oh, I think I'll do some meddling exactly. <laughs> on horseback."
1: <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going to take you on a, a on a brief historical um, journey. Um, so. And this is, you know, I talked about Michael Deacon earlier on and the the insight into this. That kind of idea of winning the Cold War in extra time led me down a path. Now, I study geography at university, so um, this is of particular interest to me. There is a man called Alexander Dugin, okay? He's basically a hard-right Russian nationalist philosopher. He's he's basically a Russian fascist, okay? okay? And he's the author of a book called The Foundations of Geopolitics, The Geopolitical Future of Russia, okay? This sounds a bit weird and a bit tangential. This book was published in 1997. It's sold out in four editions and it continues to be assigned as the textbook at the General Staff Academy and other military universities in Russia. Right? What does this book talk about? It effectively describes a world in which there is a problem with the unipolar nature of US-led Western liberalism. And what Russia wants is to be recognized as another pole of significance in a multipolar world. 97, this book was written, okay? It's used by the Russian military as a a, a textbook. What did it talk about then? In a geographical context, and a hotter military context, if you like, it talks about the dismemberment of Georgia, which happened. The annexation of Ukraine, which happened, okay? An axis of power with Tehran, which is literally a live subject at the moment. That's all a little bit tangential from our conversation here. Moving on to the UK and the US, all right, let's look at what he specifically said about what Russia should be doing in the United States. Russia should use its special services within the borders of the United States to fuel instability and separation, Russia should introduce geopolitical disorder into internal American activity, encouraging all kinds of separatism and ethnic, social, and racial conflicts, actively supporting all dissident movements, extremist, racist, and sectarian groups, thus destabilizing internal political processes in the U.S. It would also make sense simultaneously to support isolationist tendencies in American politics.
0: Wow. Yeah. Mic drop, right? I mean just the the textbook for what's been going on and and as you say, it applies absolutely as much as it to us here in the u k as it does in america uh, and as we've seen right there's been links in the sort of botnets that have been used that were involved in brexit that were also involved in the Breitbart agenda in america um you know what do we do with that right how do wh- you you it wasn't hard for you to find that information you know we can sit here and talk about it. Why is this not something that is being talked about you know do you think that they've got enough influence and do you think they own the politicians in question do you think that's why they're not that's let me rephrase that i i cannot understand why someone like donald trump is happy to be so subservient to a russian agenda unless he has some significant financial challenge that he's unable to meet you know there's all that talk about the debt with some of the hotels and stuff what's your view on on why what's the why here so the the great power of, of of this kind of activity,
1: and and it's called um, a covert influence campaign, and that's that's not something that I've uh, picked up myself. That's something I learned from from listening to an interview with a guy called General Michael Hayden, who's the only guy to have run the CIA and the NSA. Okay, the reality of why this is so clever is that what it causes is antagonism between different constituencies within a single nation. So their entire purpose of sowing dissent and sowing anger and argument within the US leads people in America to blame other Americans. And so as much as one party is saying this is the fault of Russia, the other side is saying you're just looking to blame Russia for what you
0: didn't like happening, having happened. So you lost the election, you're now blaming it on Russia. Which is actually the design of the entire procedure right is what you're saying so um, sorry Jim go on no I was just gonna say I I think I don't think like Trump is being subservient I think Trump is just a self-centered person who wants to believe he's totally in control of this situation and he it's been so successful that he totally believes that he's running the show and that he's not been influenced by Russia. Or if if he has been helped by them, it's fine because he kind of gets on with them okay and he's still going to do what he wants to do because I think he's kind of a, um, a narcissist. And so it's like he can't allow himself to think he's not the main man. Right. And look, in the context of how technology is changing people's lives, which is what Alexa Stop is all about, you know, let's talk about that, right? Because this is something that in theory could have happened for decades and, or, you know, hundreds of years, ultimately, this sort of power shift could have taken place. But what we have now is technology. We have this computational element. Um, you know, Nigel, what, how, how do you think technology is playing a part in this? How do you think it's making it possible for, you know, let's assume that what we're discussing is correct and that the Russians have had, as I believe they probably have, had significant influence in a number of the things that have happened. How is technology at the heart of that, in your opinion? So, so the essence of this is that um, these,
1: these kinds of actions, this kind of propaganda, this kind of covert um, influence campaign, they, they do not create fractures in society. There are fractures in place in society. What they do is they exploit them and they make them worse. So there is, without a question, a significant disagreement within the UK on the merits or otherwise of Brexit. There is real serious um, bipartisanship in the US around political views. What has happened is that a, a group, an external force that has always sought to influence, has had at their disposal, really relatively limited uh, media platforms, that it's very difficult to be anything other than obvious in what you're doing, right? Pravda was very clearly propaganda. So that. Is an old world media version of, of, of propaganda.
0: Elaborate on Pravda for those that might not so, be. So familiar.
1: I'm forgetting everyone isn't as old as me. So <laughs> so Pravda was the official title
0: of the Soviet Union, the official news newspaper title of the Soviet Union. So what RT is today almost, sort of state state sponsored mouthpiece almost.
1: That, that's right. Although although RT is somewhat cleverer in if you actually look at and you can see this around London at the moment because there are posters advertising RT, they have a, a degree of self awareness of being positioned as a propaganda mouthpiece. So they're almost a post a post truth, post reality, laughing on the a nudge and a wink. Are we really, are we really just a mouthpiece if we're joking about being a mouthpiece? There's a tremendous cleverness to this idea of the, 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 the kind of flexibility of truth and reality. The basis of what's happened is that you have tremendous scale of social media platforms that are empowering individuals. And the, the, the view of this was it was going to be hugely beneficial to society as a whole. So in a political context, we looked about the Arab Spring. Actually, in many respects, Barack Obama's rise was seen as uh, being empowered by the youthful support that he achieved online. No one quite foresaw that a nefarious set of bad actors, not just uh, someone who's, uh, you know, a kind of carry on actor, but, you know, overseas governments, and indeed, there are some quite strange billionaires with some quite peculiar uh, political views as well that are out there, would actually look at this and look at
0: how they could exploit it. Where do we go from here? Let's talk about let's talk about the bots, right? Let's talk about the the bots and the overlap. So, there was some fascinating research that came out, and I caught this on Twitter uh, last week, which was some some data analysis that was correlating the patterns of bots involved in a number of different activities globally. So, there was some stuff around the U.S. election. There was the whole Brexit thing. There was the uranium story that kicked off just before the most recent in the long-running chain of scandals in the U.S. where Paul Manafort was indicted on charges of 12 counts of different things, I think. I found it really interesting that that agenda, you know, the data says that it's the same people, right? Doing this doing this stuff and, and carrying out these actions on all of these different platforms. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like, to what end? You know, and maybe, as you say, from, from the, 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 sorry, Dukin, was it? The
1: Alexander Dugin. Yeah, from yeah. from do you, do, you, do you want to know what, what what his recommendation with regard to the UK was? I would love to. Split the UK from the rest of Europe. How interesting!
0: Um, Literally. Did he tell them to paint 350 million pounds on the side of a red <laughs> bus as well? Yeah,
1: I mean, we 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 can't blame it all on. Unfortunately, it's not entirely the fault of the Russians. We are architects of our own downfall, partially as well. But they're just on the on the sidelines cheering it on. And, and by the way, this is continuing now. So. Um, they are agitating for Catalonian independence. There is also an agitation for something called Cal Exit. You heard of this? No. Carry on. That's um, the succession of California from the United States. And as you pointed out, the same botnet. OK, which is a combination. It's actually not entirely bots. It's a combination, a network of accounts, some of which are, are bot run, some of which are w- what are also known as sock puppets. So they're, they're yeah. run by human beings, but they're all part of the same propaganda campaign.
0: Yeah, all kind of curated by the same same actors. And for those not familiar with bots and you know, thinking, what is a botnet? It's a kind of... A set of fake profiles, ultimately, Uh, typically you'd have a very large number of them across multiple different social media platforms that you can use to kind of publish the same messaging uh, or other messaging in a consistent way across all of the different platforms. Nigel, what's your view on the whole bots thing? Are you seeing much debate about that in your world? Yeah, so the I mean I love Twitter and Twitter is the the, the platform
1: I use most to um, kind of keep abreast of developments. But it, but there is a significant problem, uh, and and the numbers are in the tens of thousands of bot accounts combined with sock puppet accounts, and crucially the this single entity, this single network, will pivot from dependent on what's most important to be talking about for their own gains a Trump election through to a Brexit campaign, moving on now periodically to um, the issues we've talked about, like Catalonia, like um, Calexit. But within that, they're actually operating at scale and at pace. How many times have you tweeted, Rob, since you've been on Twitter?
0: I don't know. Maybe well, let's have a look, shall we? Uh, let, probably t- I can tell you thousand. I, I reckon. How many? You, you know, tell me. Two thousand seven hundred. I think. Okay, I, that's I, pretty low, isn't it? Given I've been on Twitter since the beginning. Yeah, and so As I I, you've got a bot doing it, <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a really rubbish, lazy, <laughs> bot. Yeah, terrible, bot. <laughs> terrible bot. Terrible sense of humour. So,
1: so you've tweeted under three thousand times. Uh, so I have tweeted six thousand times because I'm I'm slightly less diligent in my in my day to day life, and so I'm a little more uh, prone to tweeting. One of the most central nodes of the Russian bot network uh, was an account called David Jones, at David Joe, and then eight numerals at the end. That account tweeted 136,000 times in a period of three years. Right, And do you know when that account tweeted during the day?
0: Uh, you tell me. 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Moscow time. <laughs> oh, you can't write this stuff, can you? Um yeah. And the thing that really bothers me is that this comes back to the kind of regulation side is that is such an easy pattern to spot, right? Like as a as a systems guy, as an infrastructure guy, it's trivial for someone like Twitter, you know, to move on from picking on Facebook to... To shut that stuff down if they want to, right? It would not be hard for them to isolate accounts that exhibit those patterns and at the very least escalate them for manual auditing by a human being. You know, you don't have... Say, oh, you know, you don't want to automate shutting down the wrong accounts. Well, sure, you know what? If someone's tweeting about London buses, to come back to our piece from earlier today, Jim, in our vlog that was coming out soon... You know, it's pretty easy to work out that they're just obsessive about a topic. But this automated stuff or this very deliberately misleading content is not hard to, to pin down. Why, why do you guys think that they haven't taken action? I just cannot understand why they haven't done something about this yet.
1: So I think that fundamentally these are, are businesses and their priorities are the business priorities that are there. The uh, you, You'll know this better than me, Rob, as a CEO. Well, both of you are the CEOs. Was it called your fiducial fidu- duty? Yeah. Is, that right? is yeah. that right? Yeah. Which is basically, you know, it's your responsibility to, to work and operate profitably on behalf of your shareholders and stakeholders. So that's their priority. I think what is coming to be realized now is that these businesses strangely in their favor in some respects are so influential they require special attention
0: yeah and bespoke regulation
1: also and what the select committee in in the US the intelligence select committee is saying is we need you guys to step up you are the front line of defense of our democracy but if you don't we will be forced to regulate you
0: yeah and I suppose that's you know there's an analogy there with sort of self-regulation of the press and things like that that's sort of been principles that have existed for a reasonably long time. It's just a, a sort of at a different scale and with a different level of personal contact with individuals, I suppose.
1: yeah, so and and that that's a really interesting bit of context. so I, and I literally picked up a, a news story on my way to this recording today, which is an Ipsos mori a piece of research that was conducted amongst British voters. and they actually placed Facebook above the sun and the star in terms of truthfulness and accuracy. Wow. Yeah. Now, to put that into context, Facebook was below every other newspaper title that I haven't mentioned. But at the bottom of the pile were the sun and the star. A long
0: history of uh, (laughs) giving us reason to think that, maybe. Um, So, look, let's let's, uh, change and talk about a specific person. So, uh, tell us who Robert Mercer is. So Robert Mercer, Bob Mercer, is he's dependent on
1: your persuasion. I would certainly categorize him as another kind of bad actor. So the nefarious billionaire, uh, he's pretty much front and center for that. He is a a man who made a fortune running a hedge fund. I think he's just, in fact, stepped down as co-CEO of uh, Renaissance Capital. But he is a financial backer of Breitbart. He is a financial backer, if not outright owner of Cambridge Analytica, uh, which was the big data psychometric profiling business that I'm not sure exactly how much influence they had. But certainly the intent was very much to influence
0: both the Trump election and the Brexit referendum. And what do you think sort of makes someone like a Bob Mercer develop sort of like more extreme political views and, and get very active in deciding to pursue them?
1: I mean, I, I must admit, this
0: is a mystery to me. If, if you are a, a billionaire, yeah, well, and surely you're pretty happy with the cards you've been dealt. No, like why are you trying to change the world when you're in that position? It, it baffles me. It really does. I mean, I, I struggle with it as well. There's actually a darker, more nefarious
1: character uh, called Peter Thiel. Right. Um, which
0: I don't, I don't know if you know that Blood name. Blood-drinking but... Peter Teal, as, uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> as the yeah. stories go, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah he certainly keeps you, keeps you vibrant. That's apparently it. He, he, wants to, he wants to live forever, doesn't he?
1: He does, yeah. He certainly injects himself with human growth hormone, which is, I don't know, the wisest course of action with someone. But he's, he's also a huge um, Lord of the Rings. I mean, he's, like, he's pretty much as near as the real world can get to a supervillain minus a silly outfit. He's a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So all his business ventures all have Lord of the Rings connotations. So there's Palantir Technologies, there's Valar, um, it, it literally
0: Mithril. All his businesses are kind of strangely obsessed with Lord of the Rings. I've got to say, I can't think of what he looks like so I've imagined him as Peter Stringfellow. <laughs> less hair. Somehow that would make him considerably less intimidating, I think. But That's what I went for. It's just what came yeah. to mind.
1: But but the, but these guys, I, I honestly don't, really entirely understand what their motivation is to mess with society so much other than that they have such a fantastic sense of their own knowledge and capacity about what's good for them and therefore the people around them or you know, they mo- they're motivated to do something about it
0: so let's let's sort of uh, think about this in the context of where on earth is the world going How do you feel about the future? How do you feel about the next general election in the UK? How do you feel about the next US election? Do you feel that we will find solutions? Do you feel that this is something that we're going to be dealing with for the next decade? What's the outlook?
1: Well, I mean, as as and many other people who, who know me will tell you, I'm I'm rather dystopian in, in my views. I, I'm I'm basically, I just cut to the chase. I'm basically a misanthrope. So I'm, I'm I defer to not being certain about um the the, the kind of the wiser and wherefores of, of, of people. Um, that said, what what I think is most important is there is a growing awareness of this problem existing, and therefore that is the first step in
0: addressing it. Yeah, no doubt. I think. It may not be a majority view yet it may still be a kind of nucleus of understanding but there's definitely at least in the technology community a much wider awareness of this than there was a year ago certainly two years ago feels to me like the more switched on stable governments out there are starting to have a a kind of sensible debate about how to protect ourselves against this so I don't know. I always like to try and be optimistic about the future and, and, you know, the best is yet to come with technology. I really do believe that. Where there's a lot of bad too, but I think there's lots of great stuff that's going to come. And I hope that in time actually we'll learn from this and end up with a more robust democracy and, and you know, a, a better kind of position around how we control messaging and propaganda than we ever have before. But it's a little bit unfortunate that it's taken what is, in my opinion, a catastrophe for, for us to get there. Uh,
1: and, and so I think you're right. So, for example, in the, the French election, the French presidential
0: election... Yeah, that gave me hope, it really it, does.
1: And, and there was an, an awareness that the same forces were going to be deployed. Uh, and actually, it, you might need to check up on some of these facts because I have a bluff as a level of knowledge about it, but the Macron team were quite smart in creating a huge body of quite straightforwardly hackable emails that were sown with false information. Wow, so so like they, a honeypot of emails. Yeah, I didn't so, know that. that was so, fascinating. When they, so, when they were stolen, there was so much <laughs> fake stories, fake fake news, fake, <laughs> fake news uh, in there that when it was scooped up and taken out and then washed out through um, WikiLeaks, and yep. here's the news Julian Assange is um, completely involved in all of this. They were discredited because what they published out was shown to be ridiculous, uh, and they were ended up with egg mm. on their face. And the Macron team actually benefited from that. So forewarned was for was forearmed. So um, you know there are positive sides. Personally, I think the great tragedy for us is you, you know Trump is there for a period of years, maybe not as many as we all might think, but there will be another presidential election. We really are left lumbered with Brexit. Yeah, um, and and that is the great concern I have for the
0: UK. My only hope is that it doesn't complete. Um, you know, I hate to be partisan on a on a tech podcast, but unfortunately, I am on this issue, and I'm not going to hide it. I hope that Article 50 does not get triggered, and that we somehow find a more rational way through this. But look, you know, I'm sure it'll all work out okay, one way or another. Something again back to my uh, my kind of slightly
1: dystopian vision of things. So we talked about how is it that once it begins to become clear that there has been foreign intervention, that people don't just kind of wake up and see the light. And I would draw your attention to Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, who was asked earlier this week, have you seen any evidence of Russian interference in the Brexit vote? And his answer was he paused briefly, apparently. And when someone commented that he was pausing, he doubled down and said, I have seen nothing, not a sausage, yet, yet, yet. Okay. Now, the 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 fact that a well-educated man in government in a position of power, he will have seen briefing notes on this. Of if he, he hasn't, he has. then
0: he doesn't deserve to be where he is. Yeah, I mean, it's a barefaced faced lie. I think they it? left him off the distribution list. So. <laughs> Can't think why. Look, it's been absolutely fascinating talking through all of this stuff I feel like we need to end on a slightly more upbeat note anyone got anything uh, do you know what I I think I'm going to end on on this is that um there's been some research out recently that shows that opinions of social media in school age children uh, have sort of peaked and usage has peaked and that people are showing sort of behavior that shows they're substantially more savvy to the content that's put out there. So my sort of message and feeling of hope in in relation to this is actually there's a generation of people that have grown up in a world where social media exists and are, are substantially more sophisticated at understanding what's real and what isn't and I think they're the generation that will come after us. Well let's hope we leave something worth inheriting for them. That wasn't upbeat at all. Nigel, any final thoughts? I'm trying, I'm I'm grasping at something to be upbeat. I
1: think Snapchat is fairly free of this stuff, so... um... You mean the
0: sort of news production that they're doing on Snapchat that kind of millennial flavour news they're doing a lot of no
1: no, no I, I was just I was trying to Snapchat is relatively free of uh, the influence of nefarious bad actors oh, cool. um, so
0: um, yeah let's sign up for Snapchat everybody so, so yeah so, it's because um, they can't work out the UI no, no one can <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's just our generation and um, well look something upbeat we're going for tacos now aren't we gentlemen I'm feeling pretty upbeat about that I'm so excited about the tacos let's hope we get in <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> what we'll do is we'll like just talk about all this sort of fake news and uh, and and stuff all the way through until we get they let us go sit these guys down. Yeah, God, I don't want to hear another story about the Russians. Let them in, um, Nigel. Thank you so much for joining I'll let us. Let them in. Nyet, <laughs> 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 uh, Nigel. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been fascinating talking this through. You're one of the most well-read people I know on the subject personally, and it's always a, a joy. Well. I'm not sure I can take much joy from the debate, but um, it's certainly always fascinating and eye opening debating these topics with you. Thank you for taking the time. Jim, my partner in crime, that's episode nine in the bag. Any final thoughts? Just really lovely to meet you. Really like, you know, forced us into a slightly higher brow place than we normally find ourselves. And so, you know, it found a few sort of like little bits of something in there so that we could at least hold this conversation. (laughs) And we have about, what, three tickets left for our live show in late November. So if you're listening to this uh, before the 24th of November and you'd like to get on the list, do hit us up on Twitter. You might just about be able to squeeze in, but uh, yeah, strike with the iron's hot. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening.